Let's pray together. Father, we come this Lord's Day. We come thankful for the cross. We thank, come thankful for the power of the cross. That if we are here and we profess that we know Christ, we have been changed through and through by the power of the cross. And that means we are not the same. Whether we came to faith young or old, we're not the same. Christ has changed us. He has given us new hearts, hearts of flesh. And now we have life. And we praise you for that life that you've given in the Son. And so we come thankful for the power of the cross this morning. We come and I recognize as well that you changed me. How lost I was. I didn't grow up in the church. Didn't grow up with the traditions and so on. But you had mercy on me as I read your word and you showed me who you are. Your holiness, your greatness, your righteousness, your perfection. And your son, Jesus Christ, who came to die for sinners. And so I know you changed me and here I come and here I am as a changed man by the blood of Jesus Christ. And the power of the cross. Amen. And I pray your word would continue to transform us this morning and would indeed pierce or reveal or expose anything in our own lives or hearts or if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ this morning, they would see that they need Christ. They need you. And so we pray for your hand. May you give us grace and bless us as we go to your word in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. If you would, turn with me in your copy of God's word to Haggai chapter 2. We'll be in Haggai chapter 2, verses 10 through 19 this morning. And so we're going to continue our study or a walk through this Old Testament prophetic book. And I'll begin here reading with verse 10. Haggai chapter 2. So as we come, may we come before the holy and living God. May we come receiving the word of God this morning. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. Someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food. Does it become holy? And the priests answered and said, no. And then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? And the priests answered and said, it does become unclean. And then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, what they offer there is unclean. Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to heap up heap, uh, a, a heap of twenty measures came, there was but ten. When one came to wine vat, 
to draw fifty measures, there was but twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail. Yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. Amen. Now, there are places that when you hear them, or you hear their name, or the mention of them, you know, immediately you get all these various kind of images in your mind. You know, you say it, and boom. You've got these images. So I might say, for example, Washington, D.C. And instantly, you have all these images that come to your mind, right? The White House, the Lincoln Memorial, or the Capitol building. So instantly you have all these images. Or perhaps, you know, let's, let's do another. Let's say I say New York City, right? And already you have images in your mind popping up. And so... You know, images of sprawling buildings and perhaps, you know, a crowd of people as well. Or maybe the subway or Times Square. You know, all these might come to your mind as you hear these. Now, let me, let me give one more along these lines. And this one may be a, a bit more challenging. You may know of this place or some of you, I think, definitely do. And others of you, maybe not. So here it is. Chernobyl. I wonder what kind of things came to your mind when you heard that. Well, I know what comes to my mind when I hear Chernobyl. I think of empty, decaying buildings. You know, 35-year-old toys and dolls just scattered about, left in houses and homes, apartment buildings. I think of a Ferris wheel that, as far as I understand, was never used. It was built, and right when some things happened, it just never got used. So what in the world is going on with Chernobyl? And some of you may have no idea, and you're like, well, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, why are there these buildings that are decaying? Why are there these places that just seem in disarray. Well, what happened? Well, on April 26, 1986, after two explosions destroyed the nuclear reactor, so reactor four of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, when that happened, an incredible, an enormous amount of radioactive contamination just exploded everywhere and went into the air. If I understand correctly, it went some 3,000 miles away, even. And the aftermath was just horrendous, terrible. Chernobyl was evacuated, some 100,000 plus people, and thousands upon thousands of people died, and some in, in very painful, horrific ways. And all this by something you cannot see. And if you had been exposed 
some of the people there, you know, they, they knew pretty quickly they had been exposed, but others, you know, it, they wouldn't know, they had no idea at all that they had been exposed by this rea- radioactive kind of contamination. And, and not just that, but if you had been exposed, it wasn't just that you had been exposed, you could actually spread this contamination everywhere you went. It would be on your shoes and on your clothing, on your hair. And so you could take it with you wherever you went and the things you touched then would be contaminated as well or the people you hugged would be contaminated as well. Well, here in our passage, we see something similar going on. We see this effect of uncleanness as Haggai brings up here, this effect of unholiness, this effect of sin. You can't see it, yet it is impacting everything and everyone around it. And so our passage here, it begins with two questions. So two questions, so verses 10 through 14. Now, up to this point, if you haven't been here, if you have been here, what, what's, what's happened so far? is Haggai, he has been faithful. He has faithfully declared God's word. He has been obedient in every way. And so he went to the people and he heralded and proclaimed God's word and he called them out of their paneled houses to do what? You remember. That's right. To rebuild the house of the Lord. To rebuild the temple. And praise God, that's exactly what they did. They, they got up, they heard, and they obeyed, and they got to work. And so we praise God at their response. And yet as they did, we also see that they became discouraged. They started building and, and they just found that, you know, the temple wasn't the same. I mean, this isn't, this isn't what we knew. And there were those who were still alive, you know, pretty old at this time, 70 plus years old. They had remembered the way the temple used to be and Solomon's temple and how it was arrayed in such splendor and it was it was a sight to see and you, it was just majestic and yet this is not that that's this isn't even close to what Solomon's temple was and so the people are there and discouraged and yet in the midst of the discouragement God he comes and he exhorts them And what an encouraging word it was, not only for them, but I know for us as well. But he exhorts them, be strong, work. He is with them. He is with you. Fear not. His word will not fail. We heard again and again from chapter 2, the beginning of chapter 2 here. And what does that mean? That means that God will not fail. He will do as he said. And so following that powerful and encouraging word from God, God has two questions for the people of Israel. And so they're they're walking forward now, they're encouraged, but now he kind of brings them back a little bit. And he has some hard questions for them here. And so he's kind of helping them and even pushing them onward to follow him. And so two questions 
here, and the questions are rather straightforward as we see them. And so, just the first question, if they had holy meat in the fold of their garment, then they touched something with that fold of their garment, that other thing wouldn't be holy, or wouldn't become holy. And so that's essentially, so that's the question, would any of these things, in tolding, touching the fold of their garment, would they become holy? And the priest, they answer, no. Now, of course, <laughs> you know, hearing all this, you may be like, well, yeah, that, that's straightforward, but I don't know if I, you know, got all that down. Well, <laughs> there, there's a whole background here. And I know many of you just, your favorite book of the Bible is Leviticus, right? And you go there frequently, right? Well, this is where that comes from, is, is that book of Leviticus. And so that, that's important. I'll, I'll come back to that in just a second. And so we see from Leviticus chapter 6, the answer is, is no, that, that holiness wouldn't kind of go on. Now, just to maybe make it a little more in our terms, like if I go wash my hands real quick and come back here and then I touch you, Am I just going to spread my clean hands to you? You know, oh, now I'm clean. You know, uh, this pulpit's shiny and clean, right? You see how that kind of works a little bit and how we are answering this first question or how the first question is answered here. And so we see that kind of straightforward. Yet this isn't the case with the second question. This isn't the case with uncleanness. And clean, cleanliness or clean, cleanness does not transfer but uncleanness does. And that's the answer to the second question. You see here, uncleanness is a problem. And it, in the Old Testament, it wasn't always sin, but it would defile. And so according to Leviticus and Numbers, uncleanness meant you could not enter into the presence of God. And now that's a problem because what are they doing right now <laughs> they're they're rebuilding the temple of god and yet they are a defiled people they're unclean and and they're unclean people who are to have the very presence of god among them and so we see god's indictment against them here and that they were spreading their uncleanness everywhere so, like, like the radiation contamination from Chernobyl, you couldn't see it. Yet, their disobedience, it was spreading uncleanness. It was defiling. And it was tainting everything that they touched. And so, their, their disobedience mattered. Their sin mattered. And it didn't go unnoticed. God, He knew and knows Everything, he sees it all. He sees their defilement. And so, in many ways, they were uh, defiled. And so, here they were, whether it was from the exile or combination of all kinds of things, their disobedience, they are defiled. Now, unless we think that this is something, you know, kind of far detached from us today. I would just ask us to look at our land. You know, look at the state of things. Look at the people in our land. You know, look at the state of our nation. Look at the state of our churches. 
perhaps even the state of your own home, perhaps even the state of your own soul. And I would argue that Haggai's message here is very much a message for us today. We are languishing because we have said it is far too inconvenient to worship or is far too inconvenient to worship God. We have mangled our worship of God. And we have made the worship of God something that we can do in our own terms, which has never been the case in Scripture. And I wonder if we really don't think disobedience is really all that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal to sin against God. I mean, yeah, he sent his son, his very own son, to die on the cross for sinners. But it's not really that big of a deal if I disobey. Yet we see here that it is the people's disobedience, the people's uncleanness defiled everything homes, their families, their worship of God. And so we could say in very much the same way that we are unclean also. You know, sin, it is serious. And its contagious effects are great. And you may be here and you may have a really kind of fine going life. You know, everything's going well for you. You know, it's all fine and good. And so on the exterior, all is well. And so the outside of the house is all well and good. But inside, what is going on? Where there is mold, there's decay, there's this rot, there's this death going on in your own soul. You come to church with your church faces on. (laughs) But then at home, man, you're just struggling in decay. You're, You're languishing. Before God. You know, while radiation, like bullets, it it kind of just flies through the body and wreaks havoc havoc upon it, well, sin wreaks havoc upon your soul. There are consequences for our sin. You know, I, I think we kind of, even as Christians, don't really get that. You know, I. I've heard many stories when people have just, they've done incredibly, you know, sinful things or, you know, they've done some things that maybe even murdered someone and they don't expect the consequences to come. But there are consequences for our sin. You know, when I heard a story of a woman and she had, you know, committed adultery against her husband and... um, It was a grievous thing, and they stayed together, and they fought for the marriage, but part of that, she would go to family get-togethers, and it was just hard. Her family didn't quite know how to interact with her. They struggled with trusting her. And you can say, well, grace, grace all day, but understand that there are consequences for our sin. If you do something like that, it's going to be hard to trust you. And so we need to see that there is indeed consequences for the things 
we do. And so sin, it wreaks havoc on our lives. Even now, if you know Jesus Christ, you cannot just simply say, it's okay for me to watch pornography on the internet or on my phone or wherever I do. It's not okay for me to go and lie to everyone I go to or even to put on a mask of hypocrisy and then act like it's not having a kind of hor- like a, a terrible effect and darkening effect upon your life, upon your family. It's teaching your children that worship doesn't really matter. We just come to church, but we don't do it anywhere else. Christianity, it really doesn't have an effect on my life outside of me saying it. And so our children learn that really worshiping God isn't all that big of a deal. And if it is, I just need to mask it all up and make myself look good. And then go to the bars and drink and go party or do whatever you do. And so you may be trying to hide inside your house, yet we need to see here and now that nothing is hidden from God. He knows already. And if that scares you, just let it scare you. (laughs) You know? Let, let the truth of God's word just have its effect. Don't back away from it because we do that way too often when the word of God ought to convict us. We just say, well, no, no, no. I don't like to feel that way. I'm not going to feel that way. I'm just going to kind of brush it over, push it under the rug when God is not okay with it. And so a dead body defiles, but what about a dead soul? Sin, it separates you from God. And so a fine life will not golf that separation. And so we see here with these Israelites in the midst of their uncleanness, we see they're defiled and yet in the midst of this, God is holy. God is holy. And herein lies the problem not a problem with God it's a problem with us man as a rights driven culture how shocking God's judgment can be when we realize that the hammer comes down and it won't stop it's just going to hit the nail all the way through the outside of Jesus Christ when his hammer comes down it's over There is no hope for you if you do not know Christ and you leave this world. But wait, God, you didn't tell me. You didn't send someone. You didn't give your word. You didn't do something. But friend, in that day, it's just going to be a hammer. A period at the end of the sentence. God's holiness is his uncompromising moral purity and his moral perfection, and he does not compromise it for anybody. Not you, not me, not anyone at any time in all of history. He has never compromised it, and he never will compromise his holy, good character. It's his unflinching devotion to his honor, his separateness, his uniqueness as God. And so in him there is no sin there is no fault there is no immorality and there is no impurity and then you put that right in the face of us 
Woe to us. An unholy and unclean people. This is also why a religious facade won't work. The empty claims of a false profession are just that, they're empty. The Lord, he will not say, oh friend, you were so close. You, if you just went to church on that rainy Sunday, you know, that you didn't go, you, you know, if you would have went then, you would have made it. <laughs> no, no, that's not what the Lord is going to say to you. The problem is not what you're, like, you're doing your work. It's not how hard you're going to work to get there. He won't say to false professors on that day, you should have worked a little harder. He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As you lifted your hands, as you came down the altar and bowed, as you perhaps even shared the gospel with someone else, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. God will not compromise his holiness. Only true holiness will do. And yet, as these people in Israel, they are defiled. Yet, as he is holy, yet God, he has called his people also to be holy. And this is what Israel they were to be. They were to be a people set apart for God. They were to be holy as God is Holy in this. Now, remember what I said about Leviticus? You know, Leviticus, how you just kind of like love that book and you read it every day? Well, if, if, you're, if you're like, why is this so hard to read? Why, what is this all this about? You know, our son Isaiah, praise the Lord, he came to faith a number of years ago and he was baptized. And so he regularly comes and he does his Bible time. And right now he is uh, doing his devotion time before the Lord. And he, 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 right now he is reading the book of Leviticus, right? And he's walking through it at age eight. So if you have an excuse not to read it, <laughs> you don't have an excuse. <laughs> Isaiah is reading it here. And so he is reading it and he's like wondering about these things. What is all this about? I just kind of take him aside and I say, all right, Isaiah, here, here's what you need to understand about the book of Leviticus. All this matters immensely because here is the question that it is dealing with. And this is an important question for all the Old Testament. You're going to understand it rightly. Is how can an unholy people dwell in the presence of a holy God? Wow! How important then is Leviticus? So come all these offerings. So comes this discussion on cleanness and uncleanness. And so comes everything else. How can you be in the presence of a holy God? He's in the camp. Well, here's how. With a big banner over it saying, God's holiness is serious. And so they were to be a people, people set apart. And so are we. So are we. You know, as Francie read a moment ago from 1 Peter, Christians, we too are called to that same calling, aren't we? 
First Peter said, as exiles, right? Speaking of us, even kind of like the context here, they were in exile. They're not in exile anymore. We're looking forward to that day. <laughs> we'll be with Christ forever. But he calls us exiles and he says, you are to be holy as God is holy. Remembering Christ who bought you and ransomed you for himself. Right? Amen. So all this is just reasons to tremble. And, and why? If you're, if you're really taking this in this morning and you're not kind of backing away from the holiness of God, it's reasons to tremble because we are blemished. We are blemished. We are defiled. We're like those decaying buildings in Chernobyl. You know, if you went up to one of the buildings and you put a kind of just a Band-Aid on it, would that fix it? You know, like, ah, now it looks perfect. You know, no, ridiculous, right? Absolutely not. We are a people like that. We are just blemished. We are defiled. We are a people with gods that we love and we bow down to. We have idols that we adore. There is murder and revenge and adultery in our hearts. And we go about lying and deceiving. And we go about longing for that iPhone or that car or that house of our neighbors. And what have they earned for us? The wages of sin is death. It's death. We are defiled. And that's just touching the surface of how far we have and how greatly we've sinned against God. Yet, yet, while we have so sinned, while we are defiled, while we fail so much, I fail so much, do you fail? Do you mess up here? I mean, I fail as a husband, I fail as a father, I fail as a pastor. Do you fail? While we are stained, and while we are blemished, praise God, Christ unblemished. Christ is unblemished. He has no spot. He has no sin. He has no wrinkle of unholiness or defilement. There is no hidden sin with Christ. There is no evil aim. There is no ill intent. There is no grumbling word. He is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. And so let me ask you, hearing all of these things this morning, are you overwhelmed yet by your lack of holiness? Are you overwhelmed by the feelings that you really just aren't good enough? I cannot put on this face of hypocrisy good, well as well as some others can, you know. Are you overcome by the multitude of your failings? Well then, friend, there is one who is ready to receive you. 
Jesus is there with his arms open wide, ready to receive the defiled, the unclean, the sinner, the blemished this morning. And if that is you, you are welcome to come to Christ. And he calls you come. And so it was that he came as what you could never be. He came as that perfect, unblemished offering, Leviticus, for you. To pay not for just some of your failures, not just for some of your sins, not for just some of that mess that you are, but he came to pay for all of it. That every single sin, every single failure, all those ways that you are not good enough, he came and he took all that upon himself, and now he is the holy, righteous one standing in your place. Praise the Lord. Forever. So he is good enough. Lord, I've sinned, but he is my Savior. Lord, I'm not good enough, but Christ is good enough. Lord, I'm, I am blemished, but he is unblemished. Praise the Lord. Amen. And so no drug will give you this, no man or woman, no education, no job, no amount of health. I tried it too. I was trying to be a bodybuilder, and that was not getting me one iota closer to God. Not a fine life. It is only Christ. Christ alone. So whether you are here and you're a believer or an unbeliever this morning, friends, this is where you're to find your consolation, is in Jesus Christ. We aren't a gospel in the past kind of people. We are a gospel in the present, in the future, and forever kind of people. If you want to know what you're going to hear on Sunday mornings here at Haven Baptist Church, it's going to be the gospel. It's the gospel in my life, the gospel at work, the gospel in marriage, in my marriage, the gospel in raising my children, the gospel in everything. And so may it be. And find your consolation that if you know Christ, that is what God sees. He sees His holiness. He sees His Son in you. And so following this, following these two questions here in verses 15 through 19, God, he calls them then to consider again. He calls them to consider again. And so in chapter 1, if you remember, God, he called the people of Israel. He said, consider your ways. Well, here he's doing something similar and so in verses 15 and 18, he says, Now then, consider from this day onward. And that's just it. He just leaves it right there. <laughs> he doesn't complete the thought yet, so I'm not going to complete it either. He wants them to remember something. And so he takes them on this kind of journey. And what does he want them to remember? Well, he wants them to see that sin is devastating. And so what he does is he, he reviews for them where they were before they began building the temple. Well, how were they doing? You remember? Not so good. <laughs> they weren't doing good at all. 
So they were cursed by God, and God was really, truly bringing judgment upon them. And so the fruit of their hands, it wasn't just yielding like nothing was coming up, but it was also yielding dissatisfaction. It wasn't satisfying. We drink and it's not enough. We eat and it's not enough. We have clothing and it's not enough. And so they got all this stuff and it came up with little and just pause right there. Is that going on right now with you? If it is, that is a sign of a spiritual problem. He is, Christ is to be what? The wellspring of our soul. Of our soul. And so he asks them, verse 16, how did you fare? And so we might well ask ourselves that question, how are you doing? How is sin going for you? You know, I remember before I knew Christ, if you looked on the outside, you know, you might think everything is well and good. You might have even said, look how well, you know, young Andrew's doing. <laughs> you know, he's, he's healthy. He's just out of high school. You know, good for him. Good job. You know, pressing onward into college. You know, some people take a break and never go back to college. So good job. Way to go to college there, Andrew. He has a job. He has a car. And he's on the right track. You know, man, what a mess I was. Everywhere I went, there was this darkness and deadness in my soul that I just simply could not explain. You want to talk about wearing masks? I was wearing masks. And I had no idea what was going on. And that might be you as well. Well, do not be deceived, friend. Sin is no good for you. <laughs> now, you might respond to this in a number of ways as God is taking them down memory lane. <laughs> you know, remember how it was? How did you fare? Well, you might respond as they did there in verse 17 with the response of a hard heart. So even in the face of God's judgment, which I would argue perhaps is what is going on right now in America, among American churches, as we're languishing, as we're not picking up the gospel and taking it out, while we have the freedom to take it anywhere and everywhere, while we're not in Afghanistan and the Taliban aren't right at our door, we're just sitting and doing nothing, I believe we are facing a sort of judgment right now among our churches. And so we would do well to ask, are we in the same terrain as they are? Even in the face of God's judgment, they would not repent. What did they do? Or better yet, what did they not do? Is they did not obey God. And that is what a hard heart does. It does not Listen to God, and you cannot, or they think it's okay to go about honoring God with their lips while their hearts are far from them. God, He doesn't just want your lips, He doesn't just want your hands and your feet, He wants everything about you. Not Christianity mild, Christianity everything. Not lukewarm, hot, or cold. Which one do you want?
And I think God is calling us to wake up, church. And this is why Jesus, he says, the Pharisees in Matthew 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead, dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So that's one way we might respond. And I hope you don't. I hope that's not our response this morning. Just hard heart. So that's one, but then the other this is the way for you. This is the one you want to have is you might respond with the response of a soft heart. A soft heart. Like, you know, we little Zacchaeus who climbed the sycamore tree. Wow, what an example for us. And he received Jesus gladly. And he bore fruit saying, my life belongs to Jesus Anyone that I've defrauded, here you go, <laughs> you know. That is the, the force of a life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Soft heart, there it is. Or like the prodigal son who squandered all, squandered all of his father had given him. And he comes, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father received him in. Or even still like the tax collector who, unlike the Pharisee who's praying, oh yeah, not like that guy. That tax collector, you don't see him? That, that one right there, I'm not like him. But that's not the way the tax collector's praying. Beating his breast, not even looking up to heaven and just cries out to God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There is the soft heart. Amen. There it is. But we see all that all well and good. We need to ask ourselves, how will you respond to this this morning? We need to ask ourselves honestly, will we take the words of Haggai to heart in our day? We may be few here, but if you look at the revivals of the past, they begin with a few. A few businessmen in New York City meeting together to pray, two or three, then 10, 15, 20, 100, 1,000, 5,000, and on it went. It is not matter of numbers, it is a matter of our hearts. Will we make God's kingdom our priority? And that's not just an abstract question, I'm really asking you. It's one thing to say so, it's another thing to really do it. And so God, he is calling all of us here this morning, he's saying, I don't want just some of you 
I don't want some of your life. I want every hour of your life, every second of your life. That's what I want from you. And so what is your answer? How will you answer God this morning? And with that answer, we see in Christ, blessings do and will abound. Verse 19. So here is the completion of the thought. Consider from this day onward, verse 19, from this day on, I will bless you. And so God, He blesses obedience. He blesses those who follow Him. He blesses those in Christ. And this doesn't mean, you know, the health, wealth, name it and claim it, you know, plant a seed and meet your need kind of thing. No, in Christ we are blessed partially now, but man in full, we will experience the blessings when we are with our Lord forever. Right now, you will still get sick. If you don't die from sickness today, you will die from something else tomorrow. Maybe you didn't know that. (laughs) Maybe that just Pop the bubble in your mind like, I, I thought I was going to live past everything. Well, well, no, you're not going to live past COVID. There's going to be something else. And if there's not something else, then you just die from the curse of age or the curse of sin upon your body. So you're all heading there. And so, whether it is sickness or suffering or facing trials, facing challenge and loss, We will face that now, but then, wow, what glory we will have. What, how there will be no more tears and no more suffering and no more pain. It is in Christ that you have life and you have it abundantly. But we await the fullness of the blessings of heaven, knowing they will not have any of the curses of hell. And so the question is before us then this morning, what will we do? What will you do? So as we pray, consider how you will respond to his word this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. And if there is anyone here who is a sinner which is every one of us. (laughs) We have a Savior who's saying right now that He can handle that. He can handle the sinner. And He's calling every one of us to look to Him today. And if there's any here who do not know Christ this morning, He is saying right now, I can handle your sin. I can handle your shame. You're not good enough, but I can handle that. So he's saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so he's saying, come, just as you are, and you will be saved. Looking to faith in Christ, looking by faith in Christ. May all of us here, if we 
profess to know Christ. May we just simply offer up our lives this morning to you. It is not a matter of work, home, church. It is a matter of his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom, his kingdom. So are we about his kingdom? So help us, Father, to be about your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.